Anybody like to uh, color while you listen or draw things while you listen? So it doesn't matter whether you're a kid or a grown-up, it's quite all right to, to do that. So uh, especially if you're a kid, in one of those bags there is a piece of paper. There are also some crayons and I think you can actually put your name on the bag so if you come back next week you can get the same bag and keep working on things. But uh, here's the activity that I want you guys to be involved in, and any adults that want to do the same thing. I want you to draw me a picture. And the picture that I would like you to draw me has to do with the story of the three little pigs. Does anybody know that story? You guys know that story? Okay. So let's go through the story a little bit. So three little pigs, right? Uh, their mom brought them and left them to fend for themselves. And the three little pigs each built a house. The first one built a house. What was it made of? Do you guys know? Yeah? It was made of straw. That's right. And so the first little pig built his house out of straw. And next thing you know, who came along? Big bad wolf. And the big bad wolf said, Let me in, let me in. And what did the pig say? Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. There you go, you guys all know the story. So so then the wolf said, Then I will huff. Don't huff too loud, or you'll be breaking the guidelines on you. I will huff, I will puff, I will blow your house down. So what happened is that the wolf did huff and puff and blew the house down. All right. Second little pig built a house as well. Its house was made of not of straw, but of sticks. All right. So built its house out of sticks. Once again, the wolf came along and said, "Let me in, let me in." And the wolf said, or the, the pig said, "Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin." Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he huffed and he puffed and he what? Blew the house down. All right. Third story. Third part of the story is the third little pig built its house not out of straw, not out of sticks, but out of bricks. And so once again, the wolf comes along and he says, let me in, let me in, little pig, let me in. And the little pig said, what? Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Then said the wolf, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. So he huffed and he puffed, and what happened? Nothing. He couldn't blow the house down. And there's a, you know, a dark little epilogue that says that the wolf came down the chimney, but they had a pot of boiling water, so we won't go into that part of the, the story at all. But the point is that uh, the first two houses blew down quite. Or the other part of the question is, why did the third house not get blown down? What's the answer, do you think? Yeah. It was, it was stronger because what was it made of? Yes. Bricks. Made of bricks. Good for you. A good student putting up her hand for everything she wants to say. Uh, we're going to talk today um, about one of the longings as we've been considering the, the broad subject of natural theology. And natural theology is that part of theology, or that branch of theology, that says, before we uh, pay attention to what God has given to us, 
by special revelation which we find in the scriptures. God has already made some things we believe clear to us um, naturally. So by the world that we see, by the lives that we live, um, we think there are signposts. And we've been calling them forward signposts and broken signposts. Uh, they are all longings, again, that are longing forward. And the ones that we've thought about are justice and beauty. And last time we talked about freedom. And we noticed the last time that freedom and truth actually um, seemed to be a couple. Um, as we considered how uh, Jesus talked about freedom and then Paul talked about freedom. Then we're going to talk after that about power and spirituality and relationships. Today we come back to the first question, what is truth? And bear in mind, the house built of straw, the house built of sticks, the house built of bricks. And I think it'll make sense as we, we get to the end. Um, here is something that might just make your head spin. A man approached me and told me the sky was green, gravity didn't exist to him. He believed it with the utmost sincerity, then took off his tinted glasses, was overwhelmed with the blue sky, and fell down by the stairs. And such is the nature of belief and truth. Although he wholeheartedly believed what he believed and perceived it to be truth, did it actually alter the truth? Did it change the reality? Did his ardent opinion and sincere acceptance of a non-existent gravitational force prevent him from falling? Can there really be your truth and my truth? What happens when our truths are contradictory? Is truth pliable? Well, I guess it all depends on what truth is. Can it really be this postmodernistic, relativistic, non-reality-based ism so many incorrectly wish it to be? Eh, if it is, then you couldn't actually understand that sentence. I'm just saying. Perhaps the definition has been blurred a bit and needs to be brought back into focus. The dictionary says truth is that which is in accordance with fact and reality. So truth is what is. It's what's real. The kind of truth Aristotle and Jesus spoke of. Now here you go. Let's say somebody tells you they saw millibuggins inside an elevator, and someone else told you that at the exact same time, in the exact same relationship, they saw the exact same millibuggins, and he was completely outside of the elevator. Could both be true. Something is either true or it's not, right? It doesn't matter where you're from or your life experiences, it doesn't change the facts because truth isn't relative or based on your perception. If it were, then it would be limited to the speaker's point of view, which would mean truth is different from person to person. Therefore, it would only be binding or relevant to the person or group of persons who perceive it that way. So then a 10 ton bag of bricks could fall on one person and squash, and then the same bag of bricks could fall on another person and would just bounce off. You see, it all depends on how they perceive truth. Bag of bricks, in this case, is relative to either a real bag of bricks or a bouncing ball. You bet. Next example. Okay, let's say you ask Jimmy here where the nearest hospital is. Do you want a real answer? Or whatever Jimmy's relative answer might be. Huh, I bet you want the real answer. Next one. Big Louie. Okay, that guy right there. He accuses you of theft, but you didn't do it. Are you going to defend the truth or just tell the judge nobody can really know what truth is as they put you in very real handcuffs and they walk into a very real prison? Takes me to John chapter 18 where Jesus tells Pilate he came to testify to the truth and then everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus. Nothing relative there. There are those on the side of truth and those who aren't. Jesus repeatedly said, I tell you the truth, to open his statements because reality of the what is kind is what we need to live our lives by and what we expect others around us to live theirs by. Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's either true or it's not. So if I could talk that fast, my sermons would be 15 minutes instead of 30, right? Make sure head spin. And it, it's, it's mostly just to get our, our brains in gear. As we get after this, this question, what is truth? So in the video, 
um, he brings us back to Pilate, um, who says, what is truth? So the context there is this. Um, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So remember last week we heard Jesus say, the truth will set you free. Um, now we have Jesus claiming that he is the, the, the total arbiter of, of truth, the, the determiner of truth, and has come into the world to bring truth into the world. And Pilate, you know, whether Pilate's looking for a, a, a way to sidestep the issue, I mean, later on he's going to say, I, I, don't, I don't get the problem that you have with him. I don't find anything wrong with him. But in the meantime, does he want to banter with Jesus? Does he want to sidestep the, the, the issue? At any rate, he said, well, what is truth? And if so, Jesus might have looked at him with a knowing kind of a nod, um, that would have been to say, indeed, there's the question. So, truth as a signpost, a broken signpost, um, we feel for us is, is something that, that is a, a, an integral part of this natural revelation that says something about the nature of truth calls us beyond ourselves and our experience and says, why is it that we, we want truth and, and why is a true or false quiz a fun quiz for us to take? It's because fundamentally we believe that things are either right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. And so Jesus says, indeed, what is truth is the question that we all ought to be asking. Three comments on the notion of uh, what is truth. Our pilot who says, well, what is truth? It, it brings us to, to a, a topic that would often be raised in a sort of a, a lay philosophical kind of way where probably you remember from logic or from philosophy in school at some point, someone talked about a correspondence theory. The whole idea of, of a correspondence theory is that um, what is claimed should correspond to what can be observed or what can be proven. So what is said, what is stipulated, corresponds to fact, corresponds to what is true. You can check it out. So in the video, here's the guy saying, well, somebody might say something, but if you observe it and you say, well, that's not what I see at all, then, then there's a fundamental problem. So the correspondence theory says, um, we have a notion about truth that is witnessed to by the whole idea um, that we expect that what is being what is being spoken is something actually that is corresponded to. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, I've just changed this a little bit so you can see what he says, um, he says, to say of what is that it is not, or of what is not that it is, is false. While to say of what is that it is, and of what is not that it is not, is true. So if you got confused by the fast-speaking guy, here's something even more. Just slow it down and, and hear 
here's the whole sort of premise of this correspondence theory, um, where Aristotle, back in the fourth century BC, said to say of what is that it is not, or of what is not that it is, is false. While to say of what is that it is, and of what is not that it is not, is true. And I think we would all, when we can unscramble those words, we just nod our head and say, yeah, that's, that's obvious to us. And if you're claiming that this sort of um, existence of, of expecting there to be a commodity called truth is an existence argument for, for God, there's, there's great merit there. Because what we're called to is, well, how do you know what's right or wrong, or true or false? So sometimes you can just, by the correspondence theory, you can just say, well, we have the two things here. We have what is claimed and we have what can be proven. They are one and the same. Um, in some cases, you have what is claimed and what you are looking to observe and you're not so sure that you can say, yeah, what you're claiming is obviously true. But still, the premise is that we're talking about something that is either true or false. And so if you're asserting that it's true, but by arguing with you, I can't agree with you that it's true, then we agree about this much that there is a commodity called truth. There is something that is true. You can't say we're both right. And here we get into the slippery discussions of coffee shops today, where the Canadian thing to do is say we're both right. Always, right? Or that's your truth, and your truth is not my truth. It's, when we get into that kind of conversation, do you ever feel like sort of throwing up your hands and saying, for goodness sake, like, isn't, isn't there anything anymore called yes or no, right or wrong, true or false? And we're sort of claiming today that yes, indeed, there is. As we talk about this longing for truth, um, I, I want to talk about a wall that is basically the wall um, of a successful house. So back to the uh, three little pigs. A successful life or society or family is, is a, a wall with three parts. So the foundation of the wall is truth. And that's what we want to labor today, is that if you want to have a substantial wall, there needs to be a solid foundation. I, I don't build things, Ian does, but if, if you get you know, shoddy on the, on the foundation, presumably the rest of the building is not going to, to go very well. So you want to look down at the foundation and, and see was, was a, a sure foundation built there. Jesus tells the story about, um, you know, the, the person who built his house on sand as opposed to the one who built his house on the rock. And if you build your house on the sand, it's going to shift because the, the, the foundation is faulty. And the Christian premise is that truth is the foundation of everything else that there is. And Jesus is at pains to, to assert this. Many times in his teaching, he would begin by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. 
So why would he do that? It's not just a little formula, the best way to start a story or the best way to start a talk. It's his whole essence was was bound in his mission to come as the truth and to bring the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you, you can't get to the Father except through me. After the foundation of the, the truth, we might say that the bricks with which you build a building are facts. Just the facts, man, right? That the old um, cult TV show, just the facts. Man, give me the facts. And on top of that, um, the mortar that contributes to a wall that will stay together um, is love. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The facts. We live, I think, um, in perhaps the most confusing and and dangerous times in political thought that, that we ever have in the West. So you know the names, but the coined phrase, alternative facts, is the most scary statement, politically or economically, that we could come up with. All of a sudden, what we thought was up for grabs. Because when those in power and authority can sort of, you know, plug their nose and say, it isn't black, it's purple. It wasn't that many, it was this many, and you say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So back to school and the correspondence theory, and you think, if you claim there were that many, and yet we have footage, and we can absolutely demonstrate that it was not that many. What do you do with that? Because that's a violation of something that is, is kind of a given among humankind and in human society. So if you're able to, to glibly say, we have alternative facts, what is going to, to last? What are we going to count on? And when the message of Jesus is so largely on the premise that he has brought the truth, and presumably it's not negotiable truth, it's not whatever you think it to be, it's, it's not alternative facts, uh, Jesus would say, look, here's what I have claimed, here are the facts, here's the evidence. And so, no matter what it is that has come along, if if he has healed, healed somebody, if he has said something, and there's a challenge, um, he will go back and he will rest on those facts and say, I have said, and here's what you have seen. So throughout the millennia, we have had a consensus among humankind in our societies that if someone claims something is, and then someone else claims that what is, to everybody's observation, is not, we may as well pack it and go home. What, what else is there to talk about? So if we are going to build something that the wolf cannot blow down, it needs to be something built on the foundation of truth, by the bricks of facts, and with mortar of love.
If someone claims something, we need to believe that it has been claimed on the foundation of truth. We have to believe that the way that it has been built, in fact, um, is a set of facts that can be checked, that can be argued. We might not always agree with the facts, but we certainly would disagree with someone who would look at the same facts as the rest of us and say, yes, I know that's what the facts could look like, but that's not what they are. We have something alternative. And everyone else in the room is saying, the emperor has no clothes on. That's what we might end up saying. Talking about love, um, we, we come to the mortar of all of this. And if we agree together that truth is the foundation and facts are not negotiable in, in, in their essence, they, they may be uh, negotiable in terms of understanding what they are or figuring out how they fit or what they mean. But if we all agree that there is something that facts claimed correspond to, uh, then we can say, how, how do you talk with someone then? If there is a, a difference of opinion, if there is, is some, some way that we, we need to push back on what you are claiming the facts are. Today, we don't do that. It's, it's become easier for us, I think, to say, well, that's okay for you, that, than to actually be able to push back and say, wait, wait a minute. But what are the actual facts? And behind the actual facts, what is the truth? So we have all kinds of movements around us in society. Um, and we have all kinds of versions. We have all kinds of alternative facts. Or maybe what we have is different notions of what the truth actually is. And maybe we need to be willing to go back to the truth and say, you know what? We need to repent because the truth we built our behavior on was not true truth. Uh, we built our behavior perhaps on privilege in, in these circumstances. And that's not true truth. And so even before we look at the facts of what we have done or not done, we need to go back to the truth and say, what is the truth about the equality of humankind in God's view? And then if that is the truth, then what facts do we have to confess? We have lived into that violate what we claimed was the truth. Because once again, we, we, keep, we go back to the beginning and say the beginning of all of it is truth. And then we go to work on the facts. And then we ask, and then what do you do when you're out of sync in the truth and in the facts? You go to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4. He said, speaking the truth in love, we are all to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Someone has said, some people are so truthful they're not very loving, and other people are so loving they're not truthful. And I think that's a really wise little couplet to try to live by. You know that, how that works, right? You, there is something you need to say some, to someone, and you just say it. Maybe it's a sibling, because they're easier to just go, bah. But 
you don't think, well, how's, how's this going to feel? How, how's the person going to be impacted by this? And, you know, one kind of personality will say, well, that's his problem, not mine. I need to say this. Um, sometimes we, we, we get therapy and we're told in, in our therapy that you need um, to vent this. You, you need to say this. And you, th and you say, well, well, how will they respond to it? And the therapist might say, it doesn't matter. You just say your truth. Then on the other hand, there's somebody and you say, there's something I really need to tell that person, but it wouldn't be very loving to tell him, right? Um, he needs to wear deodorant. And somebody should tell him that. But I don't want to hurt his feelings. So first guy says, hurt his feelings. He's thinking of the room. Second guy says, don't, don't say it. Just, just be loving. The magic sauce is both at the same time. To be loving and truthful. In fact, the verb that Paul uses is fascinating. Um, it, if you were to translate it literally into English, it would be truthing, as though that were a verb. So it's not telling the truth. That sounds like it would be two verbs, one and then the other. It's only one verb. And it's, it's the word truth turned into a verb. And Paul says, you need to be people who are truthing in love. And that's the balance of the Christian life. And that's the way that we should present ourselves in a society that's confused over the truth and facts, that's a little nervous to push hard on things that are difficult to talk about. When we are pocketing ourselves off and we are either pro or anti whatever set of criteria there are that, that we put in play, it, it's, it's time that we say, wait, can we have a, an honest conversation? Can, can we talk about truth and facts? And can we do it in a loving way? So anytime that anything is presented that, that bears any resemblance to the truth and facts, if it's not presented in love, it's not the Christian way. So there you would kind of begin to build the thing from the top down, is to say, am I a person of love? Because that had better be the case if I'm hoping to be able to, a to be a person who truths in love based on the foundation of truth as an external, objective, universal commodity. What is truth? It's out there. It is fixed. It is one thing, not its opposite. It is one thing, not its various shades. It is, it is one thing. It can be demonstrated by the facts. And as we roll up our sleeves and engage one another, um, it, it should find its mortar in uh, the mortar of love, uh, the Christian grace of love. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down. If we are going to be a society, or any kind of community, where alternative facts are an acceptable 
the kind, kind of knowledge or kind of information. The wolf will huff and puff and blow our house down. He will huff and puff and blow our house down. If, if we read about the, the, the end times and the, the confusing but also kind of ominous events of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the things that come along, um, th there's going to be a shaking of the truth and the facts. And if, if we don't keep our wits about us, we'll be willing to have houses that are built of straw, houses that are built of sticks, when we need to say, boy, more than ever today, we had better build buildings and lives and families and societies um, of bricks. So that when the wolf, however that wolf appears, huffs and puffs, it won't be able to blow the house down. Why don't we just pray about that before we move along? Father, we do confess to you a, a, a great concern over the thoughts of our society, our civilization. Um, we pray, Father, for a, a new courage and a new boldness that out of our love for one another can dare to, to challenge facts and to assess truth and the system of truth, the, the grand truth that is at the cause, at the beginning, at the foundation of our lives and our thinking and our relationships. Father, we pray that you would raise prophetic voices all around us and that as you do that, that we would, we would be those who are having an ear carefully listening for the huffing and puffing of the wolf, uh, knowing that that threat um, is, is very real in our world as it marches forwards towards we're not quite sure what. And Father, make us people of diligence. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. Thank you for the gentle wisdom of, of truthing and love and making sure that that balance is struck. Lord, help us to, to see ourselves in the mirror and know which one we are likely to bend towards. And then, Father, help us to, to consider that and think of ways that we can learn into being more loving or more truthful or a better blend in a Christian way of both of those. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.